You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Today we have an opportunity to have a conversation with Kathy Grace Duncan. She is a gal that serves at Portland Fellowship, and um, her ministry is to help gals that are coming out of a same-sex attraction lifestyle to biblically walk their identity in Christ. Really a fascinating opportunity to just get to talk to her and hear her testimony a little bit about how the Lord has led her through this journey herself. She lived as a man for 11 years and has been out of that lifestyle for 28 years now. So it's a great perspective that she offers on this. I do want to give you moms a little bit of a heads up. There are some topics that are discussed that if you've got younger ears in the car or, you know, wherever you're playing this, it might be something that you want to listen to or grab your your AirPods for. But I think you're going to be encouraged by this. This is a really unique perspective on this and just really how the Lord meets us in this. So I hope you guys are encouraged by this. All right, Kathy Grace, thank you so much for joining me. You and I got a chance to talk before we did this interview, and I love how the Lord gives each of us a unique story and a unique way that He draws us to Himself. And Kathy Grace, your testimony leads to a very poignant element that we are facing just over and over in our culture today, and that's transgenderism. And so I want to start by having you introduce yourself. I want to hear about your story a little bit, and then I want to dig into that and ask some questions of you because I do think you just have such a unique perspective. But to give context to where you're coming from, just tell us about your story. Sure. So before I went to kindergarten, ages three to four, I felt that I was born into the wrong body. I felt that I should have been born a boy. And so I played like that. I would ride my tricycle over to my girlfriend's house to pick her up, and we were going to get married. Now, at the same time, I understood that that was not normal. How I knew that, I don't know, but it was not normal. So I kept it a secret. As I continued to grow up, you know, I entered school. My mom was a homemaker, so she made a lot of my clothes. So, of course, they were all dresses. I was a girl. Hated it. Going into school was horrifying to me because now I couldn't play like I was a boy. I had to dress like a girl. And that was hard because the self-hatred had already set in. My family atmosphere was pretty dysfunctional. My dad was emotionally and verbally abusive to my mom. And I watched my mom crumble underneath that abuse. And so at a very early age, I took away, you know, it's not safe to be a woman because the way my dad treated my mom, it told me women were hated, they're vulnerable, and they're weak. And then as I watched my mom, you know, here's my role model responding to that. She acted vulnerable, she acted hated, and she looked weak. And I'm like, I don't want to be that when I grow up. I don't want to be any of those things. And so I made a vow at a very early age that I'm going to be the man my dad is not. And I'm going to rescue women. And so here's this bed of lies that are starting this whole little belief system. And that's how I viewed the world. Women, being a woman is not safe. When I was seven, my little brother was born and he was celebrated. My dad adored him. And in doing so, it gave me a couple of other lies in there. And that was in order to be affirmed, to have that affirmation and the love that I so deeply desired, I had to be a boy because here's my little brother being celebrated. And by then my dad's relationship and mine kind of had switched. And I don't know if that was because I was older now as a girl. And then also I fought with the lie that because I'm a girl, I can be replaced. 
And so those added into the mix of lies. Well, between the ages of 10 and 12, I was molested by a family member. And that really affirmed the three basic lies, women are weak, hated, and vulnerable, which cemented in even more, you know, it's not safe to be a woman, I have to be a man. There was a childhood friend that I had, and it was a boy. My family, they had a house that they rented. They rented to this family, and they had a son. He was two years younger than I. And so we began to hang out, got to know him, and eventually trusted him with my secret. And when I told him, you know, I really want to be a boy, and he was excited. He was like, oh, my gosh, now we can be the brothers, you know? And that was the affirmation I needed because then I realized I am going in the right way. I am you know, headed in the right place to become a man. Fast forward, you know, I go through high school, still hating who I am, having fantasies about dating certain women, having crushes crushes on girls. You know, of course, I could never say anything because I didn't want to be weird. I didn't want that label. And I was fairly popular in school. And anyway, so I graduated at 18. And at the age of 19, I go into the lifestyle. I couldn't stand the feelings anymore. It was like it was so much. I was desperate to get away from being a woman. I changed my name, started taking testosterone, moved out of the house, and I moved in with a family. She was a single mom. She had two young daughters. And after living there for about two weeks, their daughters were involved in this Christian church, and they kept bugging me, harassing me to go to church with them. Mm. Okay, so I was raised Lutheran. I knew about God. And I joke that I was a God stalker because, you know, stalkers know about their victims. And I knew about God, but I didn't really know Him. And so they kept saying, come on, go to church, go to church. And I'm thinking, I know what church is about. You go, you, you know, sing these old hymns and you go home. And there's a teaching that you really don't understand. <laughs> so finally, I'm like, all right, I'll go. And I, I went basically so they would leave me alone. And these girls, they knew, they identified with you as a man. Did they yes. know that Mm-mm. you were a woman at all no. at any point? They just accepted that you were a man. Right. So I attend this church, and I hear this teaching about Jesus. And I'm like, huh, who's this Jesus guy? He sounds pretty cool. And then I realized, you know what? I can invite him into my heart as my Savior. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. So Sunday night, altar call, go down, accept him as my Lord and Savior. I get up the next day, nothing's changed. I still feel the same. So I'm like, well, maybe it didn't work. Maybe I need to pray differently or more wholeheartedly. So next Sunday night, take the the altar call because I want to make sure this is really going to work. So get up the next day, hmm, still feel the same, no changes. And I'm like, I don't know what I have to do to make this take. So third night, go down, take the altar call, accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And the pastor pulls me aside and he said, you know, the first time that you took this, it's good. You're good. It took. And I'm like, oh, okay, awesome. So I wake up the next morning, nothing's changed. And I thought, well, okay, I'm not hearing his voice. He's not telling me, go back. The way you're living is wrong. You need to stay a girl or any of that. So I thought, he's okay with the way I'm living. He's okay with my lifestyle. Now, granted, I was a babe. I mean, how could I discern the voice of the Lord or even discern his will for my life at that point? So I continued to go to church there. And one of the women that I went to church with found out I was looking for a job and there was an opening at where she worked. So she got me hired and I was probably there, I don't know, six months. My dad found out where I was working and he went in and he told my manager, that's not a man, that's my daughter. 
and I get fired from my job. Mm. Well, the woman I went to the church with overheard the conversation, and she went to the pastors and told them what she heard. And I get called into the pastor's office, and he told me, hey, we're hearing some rumors about you, and I just want to know, who are you? Who are you really? So I said, well, I'm a man who used to be a woman. And he said, wow, okay, I just want you to know that we love you, and you can't be going to church here. So I'm like, okay. So I left, and I kind of, you know, at that point, I was in that place where I really expected rejection. So his response was not surprising to me, but there was something in me that I knew that was the heart of man and not the heart of God, you know, and how I knew that, I don't know. And how old were you at that point? I was probably 20. Then eventually I got another job and I met a girl that was working there. I'd probably been on that job for about three years and I, and I met a girl and she was a Christian and she taught me that, you know, reading my Bible, uh, you can do that throughout the week. You don't have to just do that on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that we read the Bible on Sundays and then covers pretty much the rest of the week. And so we dated probably for about five years and then we broke up and I had been going to church with her at that point and I stayed and she decided to find a different church. And in that five year period, i You know, I'd become part of the orchestra. I played French horn in high school, so I was really excited to be part of the orchestra. And after we broke up, I jumped right into a rebound relationship. And in that relationship, I began a very deep pornography addiction. Mm. It was bad. I mean, it was like a drug for me. If I didn't, if I didn't see it or view it, you know, I would break out into sweat. I'd have shakes. It was bizarre, but yet that was my drug of choice. I continued to go to church, not telling anybody, you know, who I was or what I was struggling with either. Still in the orchestra. And then eventually, after being in this relationship for about a year, I woke up one morning and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm my dad and she's my mom. And I thought, I can't do this. Everything that I vowed I would not be, I had become. And everything that I hated, I was. And so I broke up with her because, you know, she needed to be treated better. And I didn't want to treat her like that anymore. I continued to go to church. And one night on my way to orchestra practice, the Lord called to me and he said, will you now? Will you now? So I, I take this inventory and I'm like, I don't have anything to lose. There's nothing in the way. Yes, Lord, I will. And again, nothing changed, but I said yes to the Lord, went on to orchestra practice. And it was about three months later, I realized, oh my gosh, I don't struggle with pornography anymore. And I realized three months prior when the Lord called to me and said, will you now? And I said, yes, he delivered me from that pornography addiction. Totally delivered me. I don't know. I'm still free from this day. I haven't struggled with it ever again. And I mean, yes, I had images in there. And when I brought those before the Lord, he also destroyed all of that for me. So I have, I have no, I have nothing in there Mm. to go back to as far as pornography. So I continued on. And after I said yes to the Lord, you know, I truly, I didn't have anything in my life standing in the way. So I got more and more involved in ministry opportunities at church. And one of them was the junior high I love junior high kids. I don't know why. I just think they're amazing. And so I got involved in the junior high and I had a small group of boys that were mine. And then also I had, I led a men's Bible study. Because at this point you're still living as a man. Yep. Everyone accepts you that, yep. that you're a man. Okay. Yep. And I'm happily doing so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, didn't think anything 
about it. And then I also got involved at the single adults as well as the college age group. And they looked at me like, this guy's leadership material. I felt like they were starting to kind of groom me for leadership. I was pretty known in the church and I loved the Lord, absolutely loved the Lord. And it was probably about three years later, I met another girl, we started dating and I'm like, okay, this is the one, this is the one I'm going to marry. And I got her involved in the junior high ministry as well. You know, it's supposed to be couples doing ministry together. And there was a winter retreat that we went to. It was a skiing thing. And she loved to ski, so I thought, oh, even all the better. So she came, and we got home. It was a Sunday, and she really wanted to go to evening church. So I told her, I'll I'll meet you there. And after the message, we were standing around talking, And the Lord at that point had brought a couple into my life as spiritual parents. And so I had a spiritual dad. And I didn't realize it then, but the Lord was using him to begin to work out this dad stuff in me and show me that there are men who can be loving and and be a good dad. So he approached me. His name is Gary. He approached me and he said, hey, can we talk to you? And I'm like, sure. And there was something in my heart went, "Mm, I'm going to be confronted here. Wow. So I said, sure. I go back behind the sanctuary and there was a prayer room and the pastor was there, Dave. And Dave and I were friends. We had hung out. I knew Dave. He was over the college age ministry. And when I walked in and saw him sitting there, I'm like, oh yes, here we go. And you're probably going back to probably the last time you were confronted by Mm -hmm. a church and and kicked out of the church, basically. Yep. And I'm like, I know this feeling. Mm -hmm. So I sat down across from Dave and Gary, my spiritual dad, sat next to me. And, you know, there was just this thickness in the air. Right. And Dave said to me, we're hearing some rumors about you and I just want to know, who are you? You know, who are you really? Same question. Only this time I said, I am a woman living as a man. And at that point, the Holy Spirit went and and blew into me. And I saw, first, I have to go back to being a woman. It's like, there's no other plan. There's that plan, plan A, and only plan A. And then I saw I had to step down in the next two weeks from all these ministries that I was involved in, and I had to tell them why I'm stepping down, and I had to go break up with my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing to me because it was just a matter of fact. Got to break up. You got to go. And you knew it immediately. I did, but yeah. I was going to marry this woman, yeah. you know? So I'm like, okay, boom, we're done. <laughs> Which that was just emotionally, that was so amazing to me. So I asked Dave, I hadn't shared anything with him, what I saw. And I said, so Dave, what do you think I should do? And he's, well, uh, you know, you could live as a monk. And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, how about you live celibate? I'm like, no. And he's like, well, you know, how about you, Um, well, maybe you could, uh, or, uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't Mm. know what you should do. So I then shared with him, you know, everything I had just seen and experienced. And he's like, okay, you know what? I'll start making those appointments for those pastors. I'll be with you in those appointments as you step away from those things. Mm. So I got total support from the church. And this church was way bigger than the one where I was kicked out of. And he did exactly that. He made those appointments and he was with me in those meetings as I told each pastor, hey, I need to step down. God's called me back to being the woman that he's created me to be. And I think the thing that was most priceless was the look on the pastor's face because they're like, really? (laughs) You're what? And you're doing what? And yeah. And so at that point, I was living up in uh, Washington, Hawkinson, which is outside of Vancouver. I moved back to Portland and started the journey out. The fascinating thing was, is the following Monday when I went back to work, I got fired from my job. 
I don't know why I got fired from my job. Really? Yeah. And they had nothing to do with the church, so they huh. didn't know. But I, I felt like that was the Lord clearing the way for me to begin this journey. So I went back to Oregon, found the Portland Fellowship, and started meeting with the women's ministry leader there, began part of the program. It was probably about a five-year journey in there of me figuring out all the stuff that got me into that place of living as a man, and then finally, after those five years, transitioning back into living as a woman. Tremendous amount of work in that five years. And then I left Portland Fellowship for a time, maybe like three years or so, three, four years, because I was known by my testimony. Mm. And I really wanted to be known by who God created me to be. I left Portland Fellowship, started at a church where nobody knew me. And it was amazing because prior to that, people would come up to me and they were like, weren't you the one that lived as a man? (laughs) Yes, and I'm fine, thank you. You know, it was weird. They didn't know my name. They just knew me by face and my testimony, and I was done with Mm. that. So after being in that church for a season, I felt the Lord calling me back to PF. So it was like, even though I had left PF, Portland Fellowship, that had not left my heart. Mm. So I came back, started on the prayer team, kind of came in low because I'm like, I don't know how to do ministry. I don't know what this is about. And then eventually the Lord called me to become a small group leader, And then I was asked to teach, so I taught at the Taking Background series. And then from there, I stepped onto the board and eventually became board chair. And then now I'm the women's ministry leader at the Portland Fellowship. You've mentioned the Portland Fellowship, Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure our listeners understand what the Portland Fellowship is, because it wasn't a church. Is it affiliated with a church or not necessarily? We are a standalone ministry. Okay. And what what is the mission of Portland Fellowship and what do they do? Sure. So Portland Fellowship is a discipleship program where we come alongside those who are experiencing unwanted same-sex attraction, and they come there to find healing in Christ. It's a two-year program. It's called Taking Background. And you come there, the first year talks about, you know, how did you get there? Kind of dealing with roots and causes, Mm -hmm. looking at prior relationships, the things that you believe, rejection, abandonment, abuse, those types of things. Mm -hmm. And then the second year builds on that and then begins to take you back into relationship. How do you relate as a whole person? And how do you do those same sex relationships without being attracted and disclosure? And so, you know, they really build on each other and each lesson seems to build on each other as well. And we do that in in-house. We have a house on 18th and Madison in Portland. So we have an in-house program there. It's really, it's good. I really like it. And I am not familiar with the program. I'm a, I mean, like how does it integrate scripture with how? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's totally biblically based. We bring in scripture and we say, so Jesus said, blah, blah, blah. And this Mm -hmm. is how that plays out. Yeah. Um, And then all the leaders, most of them have, well, I would say all of them at this point have all gone through the program Mm -hmm. and are doing really well. And so they too can bring forth their testimonies. This is how God met me. This is the scriptures that were used and teach that way. I think that's so important because, you know, whether you're talking to someone on any issue, specifically issues of sin, you know, really the things that you and I probably have to say about that is only so valuable, but it's right. scripture, it's it's the word itself that points us to the way, the way that we actually are cleansed of our sin. And right. I'm always convicted about that when when I'm talking about something that, yeah, your, your words are good to, so far, or maybe not, mostly opinion, you know, or whatever, right. but when we're talk in the word, when we're actually pointing people to the word of God, that that's the thing where 
that moment yep. that the Holy Spirit like convicts your heart and you just immediately, I need to be the woman that God created me to be. I think that's yeah. a really powerful moment. A couple times throughout this, there is this theme that you keep mentioning that's it, that you keep saying that whether it was the Lord that was asking you or maybe you were even asking yourself, who are you? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I feel like perhaps even that question is the question that is permeating our culture because right. we really struggle to identify with what our true I, biblical God-given identity is. Yep. Probably as a culture because we've moved so far away from the Lord and we have a desire to answer that question, which I, I, I just think is interesting listen, that you knew even when you were young that you were still trying to figure out this, this who are you thing and how the Lord kind of used that. How do you think that as culture stumbles its way through on this area of identity, you have grappled with this in a very real and tangible way but how is addressing the root of just answering that question, how important is that in all of this? It's very important. And I say, like you were saying, we have to look to Scripture and we have to look to the Lord. Prayer was one of the main things, as well as Scripture, where the Lord was really able to come in and tell me who I am. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that culturally right now that is so important is your truth is how you feel. Mm-hmm. If you feel like a boy, therefore you are. If you feel like a girl, then go that way. And so our truth right now is based on feelings. And feelings are deceptive. Yeah. You know, they're very deceptive. I felt my entire life I should have been a boy. And then when I came into the truth of who I am, I saw the false of that. But I also saw all the lies that enforced that feeling. Mm. And just because you feel that way doesn't make it true. Right, right. You know, and the Lord spoke a lot of truth, and but I'm like, but Lord, that's not how I feel. And he's like, and that's not the truth. Yeah. Oh, that may be fact, but that's not the truth. And so it's really understanding the truth. What does God say about you? Because he'll bring a scripture and then he He will also bring affirmation and confirmation of that word, whether through teaching, through somebody praying over you, a prophetic word, or what you hear from the Lord and as he continues to affirm that. It's amazing. If you really want to find out who you are, you start asking him and he'll tell you. I love the way you said that. And I, I think that's interesting. I can imagine when you're in those situations where you're talking with someone who is struggling with gender confusion or what a powerful question that is, have you been in a situation where you have been able to even ask that? Do they do they see in that situation that this is not as much a struggle with identifying as a different gender, but with dealing with actually that root cause of who we actually are and who actually has the authority to speak on that? I mean, how do you walk someone through to get to that realization? Well, I can say it can be really difficult. And yeah. and I understand the difficulty because you are hook, line, and sinker sold out to that deception. Yeah, It has taken root in you. And till the Lord is able to bring that place where there's that little open door and that truth comes through that, it's difficult. Because mm-hmm. I can remember people speaking truth into me and I'm like, you don't know me. You have no idea who I am. You don't know what I've been through. You know, there's all of that that comes through. But once the Lord broke through that, and, you know, there was a four-year period from when I said to the Lord, yes, I will, to the confrontation where I, where the Lord spent all this time wooing me and I spent coming to Him. Mm. So, you know, He is very patient, <laughs> 
for four years working with me until I got to the place where that question was asked again, who are you? Who are you really? I tell the truth. Right. And it's when I tell the truth, it opened that door. In walking with people, it's trying to understand, so why don't you want to be the gender that you are? So it's kind of coming around another way. Why don't you want to be the gender that you are? Why is that bad? Mm-hmm. I would say most of the time they don't know. They just know that it's better to be a man. So then I'm like, okay, so why do you want to be a man? Why is that better? You know, and a lot of times it has to do with people. So one girl that I was talking with, you know, she's fairly large chested and boys mocked her and made fun of her Mm -hmm. and noticed that and commented, made sexual comments about that. And she wanted them done. She wanted them, you know, removed. She would bind to keep from being Mm -hmm. noticed. So there's that whole objectification of women that happen and girls don't want that. And so they automatically think, so if I'm not a girl, I won't get this unwanted attention. So therefore I must be a boy. And sometimes the gymnastics that they do to make that leap and uh, I want to be a boy is better. I'm like, how in the world did you get there? So it's kind of asking those questions. What, why do you feel unsafe? What have they said to you? Because it's really not being transgender, any of the LGBTQ struggles. It's not a sexual issue. It's a relational issue. And so it's figuring out where in, in relationship was that broken? And I can remember talking with this girl and a lot of it, you know, is in relationship with her mom. Mm. And her dad was kind of like more affirming her. Yeah, well, let's just do this. But her mom was like, no, you can't. This is not who you are. And so going back to that, who are you? Everybody's looking for that. And I believe that in looking for that, we're all looking for that place to understand that we're loved. That's our deepest core need. That's our deepest core question. Am I loved? You Mm. know? And so it's coming alongside them and saying, yes, you're loved. You're very loved. However, you're thinking, we need to deal with your thinking because mm. your thinking is telling you that you're not loved. Right. And so let's look at what is telling you that you're not lovable, that you have no value. It's amazing to me, even as I hear you talk, that you can just see all the ways that the gospel answers this question. Yeah. Like pointing girls that are struggling in this to like throughout all of scripture and to see how loved you are that God that created you as mm-hmm. a girl mm-hmm. would send his son to die for yeah. you. Yeah. There, there's love abounding that you will never even understand how loved you possibly are. That's right. But that often gets, maybe that's too simple of an answer to say, Jesus loves me. That's just not enough. It is. But I, I, I wonder for these gals, when you said that the issue is not sexual in nature, but it's relational, talk about something that is just not discussed. I mean, to, in, in, our, in our world today, it's a sexual issue. It's an, you know, it's an right. identity sexual issue. And as such, is almost like private to that person, although they don't keep it very private anymore. And you, know, you should just accept that. Even to get past that, like, man, scrap that away and let's kind of dig underneath. I mean... Do you find that that's received very well? Like, how do you get into those things? I think this probably comes to mind. Maybe my bigger question is, is when you are coming alongside someone who's really struggling in this, there's relationship that has to be there between you and that person first. Or else you got nothing. Yep. One of my big questions in all of this is we've observed two different churches and how they've related to this is how could the church do better in this? And I think one of the things is what we're talking about right here is that it has to be relationship. Yeah. You can't text someone, you can't flash something on Facebook 
and that be enough. It could yeah. be the best scripture reference you can find on how much Jesus loves you, but you have to have that relationship with someone. That's right. You know, when I when I came out, it took a village. So pe- when people say it takes a village, it really does, because everybody has a, a part to play in that person's life as far as bringing them into an accurate relationship with the Lord and understanding the brokenness in there. It's fascinating because Jesus loves you is very simple, mm. but getting them to the place of understanding it is very complicated, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because they have their truth in there. They have their experiences. They have their abuse. And more times than not, there's a sexual abuse place in there. Mm. There's unmet needs, you know, and then there's brokenness. And those unmet needs, you know, they're legitimate. They've just gone unmet. And so what we see in the LGBTQ and those who struggle with all of that is that they're looking to get those unmet needs met. Mm. And in that, getting them met, they become sexualized. Because we all believe sex equals love, love equals sex. Hmm. And so they think that is the way, if I have sex, then I'll be loved. You know, it's about intimacy. They don't understand the real definition of intimacy. And then you're right about building relationship with them. And that's my heart is to let them know, you know what, you can come and just be. And my co-leader too is like, We want the women's small group time to be a safe place. You can come and be, you can express yourself. We're not going to judge you. We're going to try to understand you are, where you are, and we're going to speak truth. And so it's learning that, you know what, they've got some pain in there and there's pain that needs to be expressed. And there's healthy ways of expressing it and there's unhealthy ways of expressing it. And seeing those unhealthy ways and asking questions. So what is a different way maybe that you can let that all out? And it's hard because every scenario is different. The way that I expressed my pain is different than some of the some of the other women that have gone through. Because sometimes there's anger, and you know, there's shame. Shame is a huge one, you know. And then trying to cut through that deception, but being a safe person and asking them questions, not having the answers is the best place to be because mm. you don't have the answers. You have experience from what the Lord has brought you through, but is is that how the Lord is going to work in them? It's not a formula. I have never found a formula. And I'm grateful because in that, if they had a formula, it wouldn't be about a relationship with the Lord. And that's Mm. what He desires is that relationship with Him, Mm -hmm. first and foremost. And so it's trying to, to bring them into that relationship with the Lord, having them understand that, you know what, even if you don't pray tomorrow or the next day, it's okay. The Lord still loves you. Mm. Because relationships, I feel like, is taught in the church that we have to do for the Lord because of relationship. And I think what we do for the Lord comes out of love for the Lord. So lovers will out, always outwork a worker because of how they're motivated, They're motivated by love. I'm motivated by love to do this ministry. If I wasn't, I'd be done (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's heartache when people, you know, you spend all this time with them and there's heartache when they go back into the lifestyle. And yes, it's their choice. And I'm not going to drag them into any place where, you know, they shouldn't be or don't want to be. That's not profitable. So relationship having them feel safe, asking questions, understanding that what I'm seeing is fruit of a deeper pain. 
they don't feel safe. So that's why they're doing this. They're doing this because of the pain that they feel. And the behaviors that we see is just fruit of a deeper woundedness. And it's getting into that place where you have that relationship to begin to ask them the deeper questions. And sometimes that takes a while to cultivate and patience on your part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When so we are asked for things that the church does. I, just going back to you know that first experience you had, I think sometimes that's how people characterize the church. And for those that are transgender, homosexual, they feel like they're not welcome in the church because stories like that are sadly true yep. in some churches. Yeah, that breaks my heart. As you know, I've been I've been at this church for twenty plus years, and that has never ever been the heart that you would find in these doors. We would welcome. I always think that it's interesting. Our pastor will talk about, you know, the people that Jesus hung out with, you Mm -hmm. know, Jesus hung out with the sinners, (laughs) the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people that, you know, were kind of the shady crew, you know, supposedly to the religious leaders. And that's who Jesus hung out with. However, once they were with Jesus, they turned from yep. their ways. You know, he didn't he didn't save them to stay the same. And I think that that's an interesting thing that's happening within the church right now and and I can say like larger church. There are those Christians right now that they think that it is the most loving and Christ-like way to welcome everyone in but keep help them stay. It celebrate right. where they're at. Right. How do you see that divide in the church? Well, the scripture that comes to mind is the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus meets her. First, he risks. He's a Jewish man meeting a Samaritan woman at the well, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she's like, who are you? <laughs> Jewish man asking me for water. Yeah. You know, but he does. He goes and he asks her for water. He meets her where she's at. And, you know, there's the whole discussion about water, but then he brings a different kind of water. He said, but there's a different way. Here's this different way, right? And she's like, but the well is deep, you know? How are you supposed to get this water? And then eventually comes into a place where he says, you're right, the husband you're living with is not your husband. You've had five. But prior to that, she's the one who told him, that's not my husband. So Mm -hmm. she confesses her sin. Mm -hmm. So he meets her right where she's at and begins a conversation with her. You know, and in that conversation, he's not necessarily confronting her sin. He's just bringing a different way, Mm. right? He's talking about living water. And so in that, I believe, yes, Jesus meets us where we're at, but he loves us enough to not let us stay there. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, you said, you know, Jesus hung out with the disciples, you know, the motley crew that they were. And I think about that four-year period where the Lord hung out with me knowing I lived as a man until I came to a place where I was wanting a different way. Mm-hmm. I loved the Lord enough and wanted that relationship because I begged him over and over and over for a deeper relationship. Mm. And in doing so, he's like, I'll do that. And there's this. And I, I think it's amazing that the moment that you recounted that that happened, where there was an immediate change of like, oh, I cannot live this way, was when you spoke those words out loud. Yep. And that was what the Bible talks about when it says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You Mm -hmm. spoke it, you Mm -hmm. confessed it to another person. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that he rushed in. 
and you were changed. Well, and taking it to the next level, Ephesians 4, 17 through I think 28 talks about the old and the new man. And Mm -hmm. in between the old man and the new man, there's one little scripture in there that says, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. And so as I looked at that, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, the spirit talks about, you know, it means to breathe hard. It's actually a gentle breeze, and but the, the greater root word is to breathe hard. Mm-hmm. And to be renewed in your in your mind means to be... Well, I think of Romans 12, 1, when it says be transformed right. by the renewing of your mind. There's a, like an actual metamorphosis is, is the word that that comes from, right. of a transformation in your mind. But when you when you redo a house... Right, you take it all the way down. Right, and I'm trying to think of the word. I lost it. But so, if you think about it, when I said I'm a woman living as a man, the Lord breathed hard into me. His spirit blew hard into me because mm. I remember feeling I was blown back. Wow. And it was then that the restoration comes in because breathe hard, and then the restoration comes in. And when you restore something, you take it back to its original intent. Mm. And so in that moment, when the Lord breathed hard, he took me back to the original intent of what my thinking should be. Oh, I need to be a woman. I need to be who you created me to be. So it was in that moment, there was this encounter that happened where he, I opened that door in my confession. He took advantage of that, blew hard, and began the restoration process that day. We've kind of put a couple words together, whether it's the the thinking or our feelings. Sometimes those seems to be almost one in the same. You mm-hmm. know, I think that I am a man or I think this. It really probably translates more into a feeling mm-hmm. in that regard or accepting what what we believe is the truth about us, which again is such a, man, it's, it's just taking a, what truth really means and mm-hmm. giving it a definition that we want it to have, which you can't do that with that word. Mm-hmm. But it's, amazing to me because in the time period before you would, you had accepted the Lord mm-hmm. and I there was even a part in your story where you, where you where it was the yes I will Lord I think that was that obedience moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then fast forward to the confession moment right so you just see this very clear path for you that I I just as an observer it just you just have to praise the Lord in that how he so patient so his loving kindness throughout out that situation but how obedience to the Lord will then reap fruit, and then you come to a place of confession, and then the Lord just completely, down to the foundation level, rebuilds right. what was taken. Right. One of the things that I have pondered is that, you know, the Word talks about, let your yes be yes. Mm. And so when I said yes to the Lord, when He said, will you now, was I also saying, did He arrange it to the point where it came four years later that my yes would be my yes? Mm and saying yes to him and going back to being a woman. Was that yes to yes, I will, a prophetic statement to the yes, I'll go back to being a woman four years later? Mm. That he orchestrated that so my yes would be yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deeper conversation probably on what the Lord's will is and the timing of that and what perfect will is versus submissive will for sure. But yeah, there's there's a lot in there. I just can I I just want to go back really yeah. quickly when you're talking about truth and feelings. The mm-hmm. thing that's amazing to me is that yes, our feelings can dominate what we believe our truth is. However, when it's truth, there isn't a feeling; it's a knowing. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that overcomes any kind of a feeling. 
because there wasn't a, I feel that I should be a woman. It's like, no, I need to go back to being, there was a knowing of what I needed to do. Because not that what is I felt. what's true. Yep. That's what exactly. is what is real. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. If we can get into just a little bit of some practical stuff, you know, sure. we are taught, we get questions. We've had panel dis- discussions and every time we are submitted at least, you know, a handful of questions of, my daughter is saying she's bisexual or my daughter is saying she is transgender now. Help. They're just saying, what do I do? What do you tell them? What do you do? Well, it depends on the situation. I always encourage sitting down and talking with your child without an agenda as far as what you think they should be doing and finding out instead where are they at? Mm -hmm. How did they get here? It's not so much what they want, but why they want it looking for that deeper place of understanding, oh, this is what's getting you there. Have they been sexually abused? Asking hard questions, even if you don't want to know the answer. I mean, what parent wants to know that their child has been sexually abused, Mm -hmm. that you had no control over that, you couldn't protect them in that, it Mm -hmm. just happened. Mm -hmm. But it's having that question, why do you want to be a boy? Why, you know, what has told you it's unsafe being a girl? Investigating those harder questions and and talking with them, like I said, without wanting to tell them, but this is how you're created. They know that. That's the struggle. Mm -hmm. That's what's creating the incongruence in their heart is I know what you're going to say, and I don't want to hear that because this is how I feel. This is my truth. The other thing, too, that I encourage highly is prayer. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. knit them together in your womb. He knows how they're made. And he's going to tell you how they got there. He's Mm. going to reveal to you the warfare and intercession you need to be doing, the truths you need to be speaking over them, and how you interact with them. Mm. You know, he wants them to return more than you do. Yeah. (laughs) And so he's going to be the one that's going to tell you those truths. When I came out of the lifestyle, I only went to the Lord. I never had any counseling. Mm -hmm. The Lord was the one who spoke those truths to me. And so I know that he can speak the the truth to you. And there were people that were praying for me to come out of that. Mm-hmm. Their intercession, I believe, is part of what brought me out of that as well. Mm-hmm. So prayer, 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 prayer. I think that's such an important point because I think sometimes parents can feel inadequate and the maybe, maybe even feel like, oh, whoa, this is nothing I ever dealt with as a kid. I don't know how to deal with this. But I have a friend that always reminds me that the Lord gave you your specific children. Like yep. He gave you... he appointed that you would be the mom for that girl, for that yep. boy. So God does not make mistakes. Right. And going to the Lord, just praying for what that for for wisdom on how to deal with that. I yep. think that is such an important point. When you're talking to your child, and yes, I, I think it's really important you're like, you don't want to come off with an agenda. At what point, because they I have talked to parents that want to make concessions on whether it's a pronoun. Or, you know, accepting, if you will, if you can see my air quotes through the microphone here, Mm. accepting how they are being identified or how they are identifying themselves. What do you counsel parents on as far as it goes with with that? Yeah, the whole pronoun thing is a really tricky thing. The thing that I've realized, though, is that if you go with their pronoun, you are affirming the lie. Yeah. The very thing that you believe they're not, you're telling them that they are. Right. You know, and the other thing is that you're the parent, regardless of their requests of you, and this is what I'm doing, and either you're in it or you're not, you're still the authority here. Mm -hmm. They're still under your roof, 
until they move out. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay for you to draw boundaries and have that conversation with them. You know, Jenny or Stevie, you know, I don't believe that way. You're my child. I gave birth to you. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I cannot affirm that lie with you. I, I love you and I will walk with you and I'll help you figure this out. But I cannot celebrate this lifestyle that you're choosing. Mm-hmm. I can't. That's not the truth for me. And so there's a way to approach it in love rather than in condemnation. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a tricky line because, yeah. yes, you want your child to walk in the truth, but you can't manipulate them with scripture either. Mm. You know, this is who God says you are. But, you know, I've, I've seen that and I'm like, yeah, don't do that. Mm. I was at a meeting and this mom said, you know, I have my daughter's Bible and it's pink. It's got her name on it. And, you know, I just want her to know the word. So I'm going to send it to her. And all I heard was manipulation, manipulation, manipulation. Mm. And I said, don't do that. She goes, well, it's the word. And I said, agreed. And it's pink and it's got her name on it. And you're sending it to her because you're wanting to control who she says she is. And I said, don't do that to her because when you do that, that heaps shame. They're already struggling with who they are and Mm -hmm. what God thinks about them. And a lot of times, though we mean well, we quote scripture to them to help them to see the truth rather than help them to know that they're loved. Right. Well, and I, I, I just think it's important what you said too is that the you can't affirm the lie though. Right. You know, we can't do things that are against. I mean, it would be lying to yep. to say that, and that is not. We can't do that either. But perhaps it, I think it keeps coming back to that relationship part though yes. of knowing what you're caring for them as the person and for the underlying, not seeing so much maybe the sin that's on top, yep. but really that underlying brokenness that is just manifesting itself in a in a whole different way. Well, Kathy Grace, thank you so much for coming on. This is really helpful. I just think that there are so many women out there, and maybe you're a gal that you're struggling with this yourself, and maybe this is something that you're hearing pieces of Kathy Grace's story, and maybe you're identifying with some of those things. And I just want to encourage, if that is you, to just pray, lay this down at the feet. I When I hear these some of these stories, I almost just sense like a physical burden that they're carrying. I mean, Kathy Grace, as you were talking, like even as you, as you were younger, that you just, you knew it wasn't right. Like you knew. And when you're talking about giving advice to your kiddo or whatever, they already know that it's just not right. We know this internally, who the Lord created us to be. We just accept the lie. But I feel that that is almost just such a tangible burden. So if that's you listening, I just feel like I hope that there's pieces of this that you have sifted through enough that you will seek those people that just want to love and find relationship with you and point you to Jesus because that is truly where the healing comes from. If you're a mom or you have a friend that is going through this, I hope that this conversation kind of sparks within you the desire to view not the person's sin, but to view the person and to love that person and not ostracize them, but really come alongside them in relationship. And that will take time, probably. And that's going to take trust and all of those things. But just that deep, probably the most important work in all of this is the intercession that needs to happen in prayer for the people in your life. And really, guys, we live in Portland. And this city needs prayer. And there are so many individuals that are really hurting in this. And so pray about that, even if you don't know anyone personally that is struggling with this, pray for those that are hurt and broken that really need the Lord and need to be free. 
So thank you so much for doing this. And for the rest of you guys, I hope this was encouraging to you. We'll put a bunch of scripture and some links to the Portland Fellowship in the show notes. And we'll see you next time on the Devoted Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.